Wrestling Geeks out there in Geek Vibes Nation, this is your friend Dane Elf, another great episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance in which we break down wrestling uh, every week. Uh, usually what we do now, uh, since we do it two days a week, we'll record on Thursdays and do AEW, NXT related stuff, uh, and anything like, you know, independent outside of that, the major, you know, news items will be displayed on our Thursday show. That will premiere later on on Friday or Saturday. And then the show that we record Saturday that that comes out either Saturday or Sunday goes over Raw and SmackDown and pertains towards major news involving those styled things. So we're trying to break it up to you guys. We're trying to give you guys two good full shows. Um, we're still going to try segments, but, uh, you know, as of right now, that's the breakdown. So new listeners, you guys just got to hear – Exactly how I, you know, want to do this, and my partner actually want to do this going forward. And if you are an old listener, now you guys know the setup, but you guys heard us say that last week. But I just wanted to let you guys know. Either way, I want to say hello to my co-host, Christopher Brother Ray Patton. How are you doing, sir? I am doing wonderful, sir. I uh, got a cold beer. I've been off this week. I am on the finale chapter of Yakuza Zero. I know all about uh, Goro Majima and Kirusan. I can tell you pretty much anything you'd want to know about those two characters. So it's been it's been pretty good, Dane. How, how's your week been? Well, I've also had this week off from work. Um, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I assume that it, 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 it is it like uh, it sounds like Narcos, but about the Yakuza. Is is that is it a television show? It is a video game, uh, and it, oh. is about the, it is about the Yakuza. <laughs> um, it's it's more about fallen members from the Yakuza over a very shitty plot of land that is ruining their ability to dominate the real estate market. And as silly as that sounds, the, the game fucking goes places. Let's just say that. It's a great storyline. Definitely has hints of uh, Kojima. If you're a Metal Gear Solid fan, that story just goes places. It's got like a total... Tokyo 80s vibe, let's say 85 to 88. Definitely recommend playing it if you're if you're a video game fan. Man, I that sounds awesome. Uh, I've I've actually been uh, binging something I probably shouldn't have uh, with everything that's going on right now. Black Lives Matter, uh, obviously. Um, I watched Waco on Netflix with Taylor Kitsch and uh, Emilio. Um, I think, no, no, is it Emilio Estevez that's in it? It's, it's got an incredible cast, Melissa Benoit, uh, but it's about what happened in Waco. And um, I don't think I was uh, – I, I need to find out about the fine details of the government and how that broke down. Um, but I watched it on a whim, someone telling me about it. I thought the uh, – you know, uh, David Koresh was a very, very um, – well, problematic figure, but also like interesting 
um, based on a lot of other cult figures uh, like Jim Jones and Charles Manson. He was much more into it and also as weird as it was with what he was doing was was uh, a good uh, – <laughs> trying to be a good person, a good prophet I guess you could say. But um, if you get a chance to watch it, Chris, uh, definitely would say Waco is a uh, crazy show. It's six episodes. And uh, if you, you know, want to find out more about wonderful things involving the FBI cops in general, definitely check it out. <laughs> so I did watch this. And, and first and foremost, it's I, I immediately drew comparisons, even though this is a true life story, to Red State as far as how shit kind of goes down Absolutely. in Red State and Waco. And then you kind of see, oh, OK, I see what Kevin Smith did there. Um, I learned a lot about Waco. I will say that I, my family had always talked about it, but when this would have happened, I would have been three or four years old. Um, and it's not something that we really learn about in any history class that I'm aware no, of. It, 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 it actually, um, it actually, unfortunately from a sociopath inspired the Oklahoma city bombing. Um, yeah, well, there was a lot of those interviews that maybe should not have gotten played on TV. Probably not. Theater, but uh, I will say this: phenomenal acting, Michael Shannon. You put him in a movie. Oh my you god! Him, you give him a fucking monologue. The guy's the best, Michael Shannon. He cuts a great promo. That's <laughs> a great promo. No, he Taylor Kitsch. Taylor Kitsch too, man. I mean, he's always been a guy that's like you know random background character. But between this and being the only good thing about True Detective season two, uh, acting wise, uh, he did a great job. Uh, but yeah, Michael Shannon stole the movie. Yeah, for he's, sure. He's fucking great in it, and uh, it just goes back to, again. Ho- every time I talk about Michael Shannon, I bring it back to like Solomon Hobo with a, or not Hobo with a shotgun, but Shotgun Stories, uh, which is Joe Nichols, I believe, is the director. Ben Nichols' brother from Lucero. Uh, phenomenal fucking movie, great. Yeah, on Demons, I believe, uh, is Joe Nichols. I, I could be wrong about that though. But, just gonna uh, move. Phenomenal. Phenomenal movie. Michael Shannon is it is great in this Waco series. Highly recommend watching it. Um, it is kind of a weird time to watch it, but it also is kind of a good time to watch it because it points out the uh, uh, never, everything's not always on the up and up as far as history goes in America. And a lot of shit does just go buried um, until someone goes digging. Yeah, and you could dig in a sandbox to find out this information, unfortunately. But either way, good television. Um, big fan if you guys haven't. If you have the DC uh, Universe app, uh, Harley Quinn as a cartoon is absolutely hilarious. It's like Deadpool, but like a cartoon, if that makes sense. But uh, yeah, that's, that's about it. Besides, of course, wrestling, which we've been watching and, and, and wonderfully, um, even though both of us admitted that we really liked Raw, um, Wednesday is an easier uh, time period to go over wrestling. I feel like, you know, even if one show is better than the other, both shows produce a pretty damn good wrestling show, pro wrestling show, I should say, Chris. Yeah, I, I mean, until New Japan comes back, this is definitely my favorite <laughs> favorite thing to watch on TV between AEW and NXT. Uh, but yes, they've been putting on some really good shows. I think AEW's had good follow-ups since the pay-per-view. Uh, and we're right back to NXT about to have a pay-per-view in, in the build towards that. There's some interesting Beautiful. moves that we're hearing about uh, as far as some of roster changes, which will be 
it'll be interesting to see what they what they do with the NXT roster. I'm sure we're going to get more into that. But uh, yeah, man, there's a ton of good shit to watch. Also, um, we didn't really talk about it, but uh, the Last Dance, Michael Jordan ten part documentary on ESPN. Highly recommend watching that shit too. Is is great. I plan on being able to catch up on it. I don't have the ESPN app. Um, I don't know if it's actually. I hope Disney doesn't hear me right now um, talking about it. But uh, I added Disney with Hulu, and they're only charging me a penny. So uh, for 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 uh, Disney's app. So I, I don't know if I want to like try to add ESPN in it. But I've been wanting to watch that series really badly. Not being a big sports person, I did watch a lot of basketball games back then because my uh, my next door neighbor and good friend Alex was into. Uh, Chicago, and it's like everyone, I think, back then watched a little bit of the Bulls and how they were during that time period. So I need to check that out. Um, but yeah, uh, definitely. Um, I wish there was another friggin' episode of The Last Ride. No, they're just postponing us. Just making us wait until next week. It's bullshit. Yeah, it's very sad that there was not another episode of The Last Ride. Uh, but yeah, ESPN's putting some good shit out. They also, uh, if you do end up getting the ESPN, the next uh, 30 for 30 is Bruce Lee. So oh. they're going to take their hand at, at Bruce Lee's story and document uh, documentary, I should say. They just did one on uh, Lance Armstrong that I thought was pretty well done, even though they're already, does. they're always great, man. They really are. But yeah, yeah, that's, that's been kind of my watch list wrestling uh, Yakuza zero, which I played. I watched Waco a few weeks, weeks back, but yeah, tons of good shit to watch for sure. Yeah, I'm trying to one like, all right. So we did have this thing that came on, and I mean, we might as well talk about it. I don't, I don't know if you get like uh, notifications or if you shut off that with emails and texts or whatever. But <laughs> um, with WWE Network, they put on this like sting, like the hidden videos or whatever, and all it was was like a pay per view, and taking kayfabe away more like inside like sting stop process. And him going to this event that he's fighting Big Bubba Rogers, uh, a.k.a. the Big Boss Man. And just like, you know, how he interacts with people and how everyone really, really, really likes Sting. Was this like a plea from WWE or was like maybe like a maybe like a nice salute goodbye? Like I, I, I it wasn't anything that was that interesting, honestly. It came with a match was which wasn't that, you know, great. But it also showed like a lot of stuff like. Ric Flair and uh, a lot of wrestlers praising Sting for, you know, his ability to work the crowd and also do agile moves at his size. So if you're a Stinger fan, it's it's circa, I want to say like 93. He's still blonde-haired Sting, American, you know, red, white, and blue um, face paint. But it just seemed kind of weird since Sting just jumped off WWE. I, I don't know if it was like, them saying that he might be staying around longer or if there was actually a nice goodbye in a really weird way with, you know, a, a, an okay wrestling match documentary, I guess. Um, but uh, did you, did you see any of this, Chris? I did not, but from the WWE standpoint, if he's going to show up on your competitors TV, you might as well make as much money as you can before he shows up there. And, all signs kind of seem to point even if he's not going to do anything he's probably going to make an appearance in AEW at some point right so uh i did not get to see this i do know during this time period 
as loved as Sting was by the crowd and, and how everyone thought they should put the title on him, he wasn't considered a guy that loved wrestling in the early 90s. He was more of a bodybuilder guy who was good at wrestling and was super over with the crowd. Um, so maybe they're even trying to turn that a little bit. It's weird they would put in a Big Bubba, Big Bubba match, but uh, yeah. So I haven't seen it, so I can't speak on the documentary itself. But during this time period, I, I just keep in mind like people like Lex Luger and Sting were not huge fans of necessarily of the wrestling business. They just kind of happened into the wrestling business, and I think you know Sting overall grew to love it and grew to love the fans. Um, whereas there's other guys that were kind of in similar molds that maybe did not so much. So I just I, I took up the uh, network and it was 1995 and it's called Sting the Lost Tapes and basically the biggest thing that it does is it shows you Sting in the in the in the uh, the locker room and how well respected he has become because not being I, I think well they don't say this but him not being the biggest wrestling fan at first but taking the the load of being the 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 biggest baby face they have this is right when they get Hulk Hogan, and also Macho Man Randy Savage. So um, not the greatest match at all. It's interesting stuff. It shows you that Sting's, he just, what I loved about it, Chris, um, you know, and uh, the rest of it was kind of like up in the air was whatever. It was just like unseen stuff, you know, them breaking kayfabe. It's like that's not unnormal for us now. But the way that he goes out of his way to, go up to audience members or, or go and see fans before the doors open and really try to make a connection with them was pretty awesome. And it's just seeing the amount of adulation and respect at, at 1995 that a lot of the wrestlers had for him. Um, and that's right when Savage and Hulk Hogan were coming in to WCW. Yeah, I mean, he was considered one one guy that wasn't necessarily a traitor or someone that seemed like was going to jump ship. He was the prototypical WCW guy uh, for the longest period of time, even if even after they came in. Um, and there were some contract holdups and some injuries that kind of led into the Crow Sting error. Uh, but I, I just remember during that time period, he is a guy that got criticized. If you go back in history for not being a, a quote unquote wrestling guy. Uh, I do know that when I was a kid, Sting like gave me the good old the hand tap as he was walking by the high five. Uh, in he was the, the coolest in the Gainesville Civic Center, and he immediately became my favorite wrestler of that time period. You know, I'd grow out of that a little bit as I started to watch more wrestling. But as a like a five six year old, Sting gives you a high five. He's the coolest motherfucker on the planet, and he always seems like he came off really well to the fans, whether he. You know, really, really loved what he was doing or not. He was he always came off as super good to the fans and and and, and a lot of the boys in the back that he had worked with for so long coming out, you know, from Respectful. kind of a dire time of WCW, let's say eighty eight to when Bischoff took over in ninety three, ninety four and they moved everything to Orlando soundstage, uh, with tape matches and stuff. So I, I mean a lot of the stuff when they say lost taping, they taped a ton of matches there. So if they just have that entire back catalog of stuff that we've never seen before, uh, uh, that'd be great. Let's <laughs> just put all of that out because I need to know if uh, you know I need to know what Steve Norton was doing <laughs> on some of these house shows. I want to know that maybe I want to know what Telly Blanchard <laughs> was doing on his last leg of being a part of WCW. Give us his back catalog. Exactly. 
Exactly. You know it's filmed. Let's put let's put out the Tully Blanchard uh, early '90s WCW film. If we can. That'd be great. Yeah, and I would also recommend because I'll probably forget later on because we'll talk about another Tully Blanchard uh, promo they did on AEW. But uh, go check out online about the promo where Tully Blanchard basically just completely destroy Sean Spears uh, for the match he had with Dustin putting his face on his boxers and it just shows you how certain people get promos and certain people just don't understand the concept but um, either way we should probably go we have two news items to get to before we go into these shows Um, want to start with a comment from our IWGP heavyweight champion IWGP Intercontinental Champion. Um, Tosuya Naito is saying that basically due to stipulations of, of uh, you know, we all know what the hell's going on in Japan, being very close, obviously, to China, and them basically taking drastic measures to try to stop the coronavirus and the spread of it in a small island that in which they live in. So, um the leader of the Insacro uh, Benables – no, that's actually not Insac. Wow, I have actually forgotten the fucking wording of their shit. Uh, that's how long, Los long it's been. Los I can oh, never pronounce God. it. Los Ignorables de Capone. Um, <laughs> the leader of that, Tetsuya Naito, like I said, the champion, Intercontinental World Heavyweight – uh, he admitted, uh, thinks it's unlikely New Japan will strip him of the titles under the, the uh, current circumstances, but he acknowledged John Moxley was stripped of the IWGP U.S. Championship after his plane was grounded because of the typhoon. Uh, the leader um, of uh, LIJ uh, believes this leaves him with little choice but to defend the titles in another promotion before August 9th. Uh, the threat itself, I don't think this is anything really that big. <laughs> I think this is more like him just playing along with the media, if you will, because they take it a hell of a lot more serious in that level over there. Um, but he's kind of pulling a CM Punk, if you will. Like, I want to defend my title uh, from WWE and go to Ring of Honor and New Japan and go to all these other places. So he's saying basically like All Japan and uh, Pro Wrestling Noah – some of the big competitors, if you would. Well, obviously no one touches New Japan over there, but some of their competitors, if you will. And uh, I think it's all empty threats, but it's still cool seeing Naito being Naito, Chris. Is it not? It's great seeing him kind of take this leadership role and come out and make these comments because they could do something where they put him on a, a Ring of Honor event or a CMLL event if you know they can get clearance to... I should be a 14-day quarantine, I think, for him to leave the country, uh, plus whatever testing that they do in those individual promotions. But you could easily see him go and defend his title and have a good match, not necessarily lose the title, maybe even go over or have a time limit draw or something. It's a way to keep that title relevant and also show that he's a fighting champion. Unfortunately for his run, he he's kind of on the hills of like some transitional champions. And before that you had Okada who had the belt for two years. So you got to kind of show that he's a fighting champion. If they're not able to come back in Japan sooner rather than later, then it would make sense for him to maybe go to somewhere like ring of honor 
um, and have a match as long as they're going to put him over and make him look good to defend the title. So there's things there. It, it was interesting. He mentioned John Moxley and we've talked about the potential there as, as a crossover. I don't think there's too much smoke right there. I don't, I, I'm not seeing smoke and then there's a fire or whatever, but that would also is, be a great, great Moxley thing. still the U S champion. Well, apparently not according to, uh, well, I guess, yeah, <laughs> they would strip it away from him. I, I guess it's been stripped, but, uh, I can I can search that real quick as we as we uh, talk about it, but uh, yeah, to me it's a it's it's good for the promotion itself. And like I said, he could go work in CMLL or Ring of Honor, who I think are running shows at this point. Um, and Ring of Honor would be maybe running shows before New Japan gets full up and swinging, because right now what the G1 is postponed maybe even past Russell Kingdom. That's the last I heard about it. I haven't looked in a while, but uh God, I miss the G one. Yeah, so, this is this is normal our normal time of year for gearing up. Uh we had super juniors and then G one. We always gear up for it and talk about the tournament and then try our best to break down uh seven nights of shit in like two shows. God. <laughs> um, and not shit as in a bad thing. Shit as in so much fucking stuff it uh Overwhelmed. Sh- he is the current uh, United States champion. Moxley is still the current United it's, States. It's it's about as like it, like Kenny Omega is the AAA World Heavyweight Champion, the Mega Champion. Like he, in this situation, I think he probably would have dropped it during the like at their next big event. But since that all got postponed, um, I mean, he won this thing in January. So if they were going with the is it a six-month limit that, that he was talking about for defending the title? He would be, he'd be right there at it because it. He won it on uh, his last match was January fourth against um, at Wrestle Kingdom, which we all loved, which was against Suzuki. That was that death match. So today awesome. would be the end of Moxley's reign, technically, <laughs> if they were going to strip him of the title. Um, he's know, held this know, thing for 282 combined days, by the way. So he's held the title for longer than Kenny Omega or Juice Robinson, as far as combined days. I want to say that makes sense. What what, what sets about uh, you know Tatsuya Naito is that everyone thought that he was the guy to you know because Kenny even I think even though he had a good run, I I just don't think he had lived up to what it should have. Naito seemed like the next guy, if you're not going to have Tanahashi, if you're not going to have Okada, that he could definitely take it. Even though they tried it earlier in his career, it didn't work. Kind of a Roman Reigns type of rebellion style concept. Now he's hot as hell. So how are you going to be able to take him a bit over? Oh, give him both the IC belt and the actual heavyweight belt. And then what happens several months later you have the coronavirus, which breaks out in China originally, right next to them, and then you know just everything basically. Um, it it uh, it's it sucks for Naito. It has nothing to do with him, but obviously, even if he's just playing, you know, in character like a lot of people do on on Twitter, if you will, with WWE, it's still, it still it sucks that he's not able to be able to produce his championship right. He's definitely keeping it 
keeping it kayfabe for sure. We'll, we'll say that. It, it does suck that we haven't got to see more of a reign from this guy. And some might say that if you go back and you flip the G1 victory of Kenny Omega, and that's the time you put NATO up there, you would have had more potential matches for him. So if he wins the G1, you lose the great Okada versus Omega match at Wrestle Kingdom, the first one. But as a champion, it may have been a better time to build NATO because... Omega was still there and there's things that you could have built around that. Now he's, you know, he has Okada, he has Tanahashi. He's definitely hotter than he was then. But I I think from even our standpoint, when we were even talking about the G1 back then or the, the following year, I guess, after the Kenny Omega Okada match, he was someone that I had penciled in for the next title run even back then. Cause I believe he was the IWGP uh intercontinental champion i want to say during that time it's when he was throwing the belts all around (laughs) Uh, yeah it's when he was throwing the belts all around so the people have been clamoring for him to get this title run and unfortunately when it happens uh just just very shitty time but if you switch spots with him and omega and this is a time machine obviously then he has omega he has um Okada, he has Tanahashi, and he also has Shibata, because Shibata would have been, in theory, wrestling against Naito. The whole timeline changes. Butterfly effect, basically, as far as that heavyweight division goes during that time period. So it's a long time. It just sucks that he finally won it. It was this huge moment at Wrestle Kingdom. I would even call it like a Daniel Bryan moment for Naito. Yep. Um, And then this happened. Because I feel like this is the first time... Because Daniel had a run with the title. I think people forget about it because he just got demolished by Sheamus. But he had a run with the with the title before he had his big WrestleMania moment. Uh, but this would have been Naito's kind of big WrestleMania moment. And then all of this shit happens and, and really kiboshed it. And it would have been great seeing him as a double champion in the G1. Which I assume he would have done. Oh, yeah. I, I do... And, you know, I like Naito as the uh, double champion. I also, even if this is in kayfabe, sorry, if this is in kayfabe, I do appreciate that Naito is kind of doing a very CM Punk-like type of concept and and threatening to, you know, so he doesn't lose the titles, be able to, you know, defend the titles and other organizations kind of just playing around. Uh, But, you know. And this is the only New Japan news that we've had in months, so I definitely want to go over it. Do you have any final uh, yeah. comments before we move on? No, I mean, I love the 90-day... I mean, this is one thing that I said they should have done with Brock Lesnar, is you have to make him fight every 90 days or whatever the time limit is, because that's what they do in boxing in the UFC. And that's the UFC tends to fuck this up because they have interim champions, etc., but... Uh, if you don't defend that thing within a certain amount of time, it just gets stripped off of you. And I love that Japan's still playing with that rule and Naito's out there talking about it and putting it into a future storyline where maybe he gets screwed out of both these titles and that, that's your G1. And it's whoever wins, it wins the wins the titles, uh, which could make that thing very interesting. I mean, there's a lot they could do with that. You could play off the storyline. Um and still make it very competitive. So I, I, and also he is the anti new Japan guy to some extent with this group. So it so makes, it makes a lot sense. of sense. 
makes a lot of sense with his character, and it also makes a lot of sense with just the fact that New Japan continuously sell, sells, like, hey, rules matter in our company, and like, if you don't defend your title within a certain amount of time, it gets stripped. Yep, I agree with you. Well, let's move on to one other uh, news item involving AEW to an extent, but more of a clarification. Um, and I, I don't know exactly how I feel about this, but uh, we had uh, the wonderful, always intelligent Linda Hogan uh, commenting on everything that's going on with uh, the rioting and just the protesting and, and whatnot. And on Twitter, um, she posts, watching the looting, it's all Afro-Americans, not sure how robbing and stealing set the record straight, but if they want to be heard... They need to be civilized. That's my best impression of a Karen. Um, anyways, and then we hey. had Tony. Oh, God. My always... name's Karen. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm sorry, Chris. Ugh, that's a bad name. Not all, people, not all people named Karen are fucking assholes. Just saying. That's an that's, old name. We should, be, we should be nicer to Karens. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. But, Tony Khan. If you uh, you've now joined your husband in being banned from all AEW uh, shows, congratulations. <laughs> Not so much the Linda Hogan stuff, but apparently AEW Tony Khan specifically took a stance with uh, Hogan uh, with his past, you know, remarks that were definitely unnecessary um, that were recorded by Gawker back in in the mid 2000s. Um, during a time period where he might have been intoxicated but said some pretty derogatory things towards African-Americans um, and filtered towards today, some people that are, you know, are black are okay with him and, you know, like Booker T have a relationship with him. Some people like, you know, Mark Henry, not so much. Uh, don't think that he's done enough to be able to, you know, apologize. Regardless of that. Do you think that it was kind of, um, and I mean, you don't have to do anything with Hulk Hogan. Obviously, he's been a cancer, <laughs> to say the least, at, at many organizations when it comes to his input, quote unquote. But do you think that it's good to be like, not only are you you not allowed, but also your ex-husband, Hulk Hogan, like to take that type of stance or, hey, it's Tony Khan's fucking company. He can do whatever the hell he wants. It's his company. He can do whatever the fuck he wants. I mean, but I would just keep in mind that, like, Tully Blanchard did watch Manny Fernandez get stabbed six times at a Denny's. So, like, if we're just digging up old shit. Um, all of that That's, aside, I mean, <laughs> it's his fucking company. So he can do whatever the hell he wants. And if that pissed him off, then pisses him off. Hulk Hogan does. I, I don't think Hulk Hogan brings AEW in. It's a different crowd looking for a different product. The crowd that likes that look for high work rate guys like Tolly and Arn and Flair and, and Steam to some extent. I don't think they're looking for Hogan to drop the leg. The, the place Hogan's going to make the most money, and it's the same thing when Hogan went to Impact. Yeah, I mean, there were some Hogan fans that crossed over, but the reason people watched Impact was the X Division. People like AJ Styles, Amazing Red, Homicide, Suicide. Jerry Lynn and AJ Styles, the list goes on and on and on. PD Williams, etc. So, I, 
you know, him saying that, I don't care. I mean, like, you know, the other thing is like him and Dusty weren't the on the best terms either. So <laughs> Cody Rhodes may have a huge problem with that. Brandy Rhodes may have a huge problem with that. Well, uh, that's Hogan's crossed. I, I, Hogan's I don't crossed know about a lot Brandy. of people. I mean, Hogan's crossed a lot of people without the racist stuff. Like, well, I, I was about to say though, though with Cody specifically, I've heard him say very recently that Hulk Hogan is the greatest in-ring performer in the sense of how to get the crowd to react, basically, and how have them in the palm of your hands, and how he's emulated that type of concept as far as storytelling, not so much actual good in-ring wrestling. Because Hogan, if he's going against Muda, obviously that's different. But, you know, in, in America it was pose, leg drop, pose some more. And that that's that's how he was. But he got the fucking the crowd to be electric. Um, so I don't I don't think this would be Cody's call. Maybe, maybe Brandy influence. Obviously, she would have a reason for it. I think that this is actually like a Tony thing. He's showing dominance a bit. No, and I think that's fine. I'm just saying, like, I know that I know that Hogan and Dusty had heat, and whether or not you think someone was a great in oh, yeah. performer doesn't necessarily mean you like them. I know that Tully and Arn aren't the hugest fans of Hulk Hogan from their run in WCW, specifically Arn Anderson with the shit that NWO pulled against him after he retired. Um, even more so Hall and Nash. Last maybe they patched. Yeah, maybe they maybe they patched shit up since then. But there's a lot of people there. Uh, in the back, someone like Dean Malenko, for instance, that probably is not the biggest fan of Hogan <laughs> in general, even if you take the well, Kevin Sullivan. So it's uh, I am not surprised at all that he's like, yeah, fuck Hogan. <laughs> and also it does nothing for their business. So whatever. I mean, like she said some dumb shit and he fired back and everyone loved it. That's AEW fans. I haven't seen anyone like denounce what he said about both of them being banned. Yeah. And it may not it may not be a good business move for you, but at this point, does anyone really want to see they I mean the introduction of the championship belt was Bret Hart, which is the antithesis of anti Hogan. It's the exact yeah. opposite. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Hogan is a WWE guy. The best thing he could do is stick there and make his money there. Hogan obviously wow. is a legend and has been forgiven by multiple people and, and some people have, have passed through this, but you know, who the fuck am I to tell you how to feel about Hulk Hogan? Right. No, and I agree. I agree with that. I, I just think it's funny that you're, you're right though, because the two shows that we go over on Wednesdays that we like the most, Bret Hart is very much. And, and Cody said this and many other wrestlers, obviously that he's kind of like a, uh, he's who they look to as a, um, you know, uh, someone that, 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 that gives them, not power, but like someone they look up to, and you look at NXT, and it's all Shawn Michaels, and obviously Shawn does not like Hogan, so more of the antics of the not not in ring wrestling, but the in ring entertainment aspect that Hulk I think is very good at. Obviously, um, at either healer or babyface, it would make sense that he would do stuff with Raw and SmackDown. I don't know if he even heard about this or even gives a flying fuck about this, but you saying this and excluding his ex-wife that has nothing to do with them, you're saying that future down the road, you want nothing to do with them. So, hey, I get it, especially based on what he said, but at the same time, that's a big stance to make when you're talking to someone that had nothing to do with them. Well, 
was his ex-wife. I mean, is it I mean, is it that big of a stance when it's your company and you're making no. a profit and you're getting a new show coming out and you're going way younger, you're trying to get away from the rock and wrestling and bringing legends in? I mean, the, the bringing legends thing in is going to be what is the ultimate WWE demise of not being able to make new stars. AEW has legends there, but they're not a focal point of the show ever. No, they're managers, they're announcers, they're uh, producers in the back. They're the ones that make the matches. Yeah, I agree with you. I do. It's just uh, it's an interesting concept, nonetheless. Um, but hey, I, I appreciate Tony for saying something towards Linda's stupid fucking remarks. And if that excludes <laughs> Hulk based on his dumb remarks in the past too, um, you know, up on him, man. For, well, it's for being not, that it's, I mean, it sounds like something else happened there originally, and Hogan was already someone they had wanted nothing to do with, based on the way the statement was said. Yeah. Whether it was the original comments or something else after the fact, or someone that he rubbed the wrong way, which, like I said, there's a lot of people there that aren't necessarily the big, the biggest Hogan fans of all time. I think there's a lot of people there that respect Hogan as a performer and being one of the biggest draws, if not the biggest draw of all time. Because it's, it's, it's undeniable that he's one of the biggest draws of all time. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you can't, you can't really say against that. I mean, the popularity of wrestling would never have gotten to the point that it did. Even with Ric Flair doing his thing in NWA, unless, you know, Vince and Hulk kind of got together for the, the 80s, for the rock and roll wrestling era, for the golden age, you know? Yeah, and I would go as I, I mean you could switch the two, but is Ric Flair versus Andre the Giant the thing that creates pay per views in wrestling? Right? Yep. So I mean as well as big of a draw as Ric Flair was, Hogan is just undeniable and that's why he's in our Hall of Fame. It's just because he's undeniable as being one of the biggest draws of all time. I mean, there's very few people that are ever gonna hit that pinnacle. Flair did it in different territories all over the place, but he never really did it as the top guy in WWF, which at that period in the 80s was all that you needed to be. They made money hands over fist. I mean, Hogan's in like, what, six movies and a terrible TV show. There's, I mean, shit, people still wear Hulkamania shirts. Like, it's all these years later. Uh, so he's undeniable from that standpoint. But like, you know, Tony Khan's company, he doesn't want the fucking guy there. He doesn't have to have him there. I don't think it's going to hurt them one bit. Yeah, me neither. Um, let's move on, actually, to Tony Khan's company and uh, talk about AEW Dynamite uh, from last night. Uh, both shows, like I said, man, uh, I really enjoyed AEW. I really enjoyed NXT. Uh, AEW, I think, did something for me a little more so than NXT, but I don't know. Both the main events for both shows were spectacular. And this time, I kind of did what you do, Chris, and watched AEW first and NXT right afterwards. And that's because I had this week off, obviously. But we start AEW Dynamite with a match with Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page, the uh, AEW Tag Team Champions, Going against Jimmy Havoc and Kip Sabian with Penelope Ford. Um, so the match was was great. It it showed Kenny. It's funny. It's like he's the Duracell bunny 
because you can like knock him down and he can sell, sell, sell. And then also he can do, you know, the opposite and be Sonic and fucking just ping off of everyone. And that's very much what they kind of base the match off of. But you had Jimmy Havoc, who has no problem cheating if he gets a chance to, uh, even if there's a distraction from the ref and he grabs a wrench, for Christ's sakes, and knocks both people. I will say that that was, uh, you know, after getting knocked in the head by a wrench, you probably should have sold a little bit more for that. Uh, but that's not exactly what they did. And Kenny Omega and Hangman Page is just what they do together. And that ending with the buckshot lariat mixed with the V-trigger – Awesome. Uh, great way to end the match. Uh, Penelope Ford was ejected at one point for getting, uh, you know, interfering with the match that Kenny Omega kept on trying to, you know, make the, 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 the ref realize. And uh, I thought this was a good match. And, of course, Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page are going to win that. Now, this is the time period, even though they were there for the most most of the night, where FTR made their way to the audience to watch. And JR made um, a good call in saying that they were scouting the champions and very intelligent type of uh, concept that the tag team that's new but has a lot of, uh, you know, power behind their name is going to, you know, want to scout the champions themselves and uh, take them out. So I liked it. I liked it a lot. Uh, How did you like this match, Chris? Did they show up in the cool truck again? Because if so, I missed it. I was hoping yes, they'd show up. I believe so. <laughs> okay. That C10 they're showing up in is, is sick. Um, I like the idea of maybe them beating other tag teams that aren't the Young Bucks and eventually taking the titles off of Omega and Page as opposed to them just giving us the Young Bucks versus FTR right away like there's a lot you can build on there so i like the scouting and i like the commentary on it this match i thought was pretty good i agree with you if you get hit with a a monkey wrench or whatever you're gonna sell that way harder uh i just wrote that off to page being drunk so he had superhuman page strength uh, (laughs) through the rest of the match but um (laughs) there's a there was a great selling uh spot in this match where i think jimmy havoc uh, he threw Page into the barricade, and then Sabian hit like a, a double stomp on him, and then Havoc hit him with a DDT, like right in a row, and then Sabian hit like a poison Rana, because I have all that written down, so I'm pretty sure that was like back to back to back to back, which was like, some really good spots. And then I like the the finish, and they've done this before, the buckshot lariat to the V trigger combo. I thought that was really good. Um, Sabian and Havoc, I think they're a decent tag team. It's just weird they're thrown together. Uh, without any kind of maybe I'm missing this on the AEW Dark. Have they really described why they're together? Why Havoc is there? Does Penelope Ford have him under some kind of uh, spell? Is he actually after her? Because he kind of just comes off as like a cane and a random tag team thrown together, basically, <laughs> to me at least. I think you're on mute, buddy. In uh, the UK, uh, basically, Jimmy Havoc was someone that helped Kip Sabian, uh, you know, get better at wrestling, apparently, and now they're all roommates. That's it. (laughs) That's their background. Okay, so do they talk about that on AEW Dark and I'm just unaware of it, or? Yeah, 
and and on this too, but a little bit, just just mo- mostly on AW Dark. That's that's something that they've always had a problem with. They like to display more storyline on a show that a lot of people don't watch. Yeah, I mean it's a lot. It's a lot. There's a lot of wrestling out there. So I mean, just give me a quick tidbit. Um, because I don't, I, I mean, maybe I just missed it, but I don't remember a quick tidbit on why they're together other than Havoc just started protecting him one week. But if that's the case, then I guess it makes more sense to other people that are more in tune. Yeah, I feel you. All right, so we already talked about the Tully Blanchard um, scripted promo that he did that he basically just went off on Sean Spears and told him he needed to get his shit together and if he's going to take it seriously – He's not going to do stupid things like put his fucking image on his crotch and just went off on him. I don't know how much of this was Tully who did not know what was happening on the pay-per-view. Maybe that had nothing to do with it. He knew about it. But it just seemed because Tully's so believable that he was really mad. Uh, and this one, they showed uh, Tully Blanchard giving Sean Spears an angry pep talk and then presenting him at the end of it with a fingerless black glove, something that's been apparently within wrestling. When you go to blackjack Mulligan to Ted DiBiase to Stan Hansen, uh, it's always been something that's presented to someone else. So I guess it's going to try to drive up the stock, if you will, of uh, Sean Spears, Chris. I like the angry one. I, I wish you told him to fuck off and he just said he was fired and then went and married someone else, but we're doing this and he gets a black fingerless glove. Unlike when, I, when I heard the promo, I thought he was going to end up managing FTR. Like I that's thought he I was thought. just going to sign them. I thought that's what, that's where that was going is like, well, we couldn't get Jim Cornette, but we can get <laughs> Tully. <laughs> um, I mean, there's obvious reasons on why they shouldn't and can't get Jim Cornette, but I think that would be, you know, the most heat. But the next best thing to do is get Tully. That would make make a lot of sense with that particular time, uh, tag team. Um, yeah, the single black glove. I guess he's going to start loading up the glove and using that to cheat to get wins. That's my guess. Do you think that Sean Spears is someone, I mean, this is, it, it's it's heel prestigious, which is kind of a, ridiculous concept but it's still a prestigious concept do you really want to give this to sean spears i mean are you going to give him meaning meaningful wins and not have him talk and act goofy and just have Tully be his manager if so that's fine i mean if he's if Tully's going to give him this glove and he loads it up and that's how he wins matches is by using a loaded glove there's ways to get that over. I just Sean Spears in the ring to me just a, he doesn't have a personality. He's, to me, he's not that great of a storyteller from every match I've ever seen with him. So it's going to rely solely on Tully Blanchard getting him over as a manager. But we've seen that in the past. I mean, it's not impossible to do. I don't know that that's where I would go with it. But the single black glove usually gives someone like that. It means that glove is going to be loaded, kind of like the uh, the kiss the ring with MJF where. He's going to try to use that son of a bitch to cheat the best, to the best of his ability. I think you're on mute, buddy. Did I lose you? How the hell does do I keep on doing this? <sighs> Anyways, sorry about that, guys. Uh, we had a match with Brian Cage 
uh, with Taz going against Sean Dean. And, I mean, it was a very, very quick pin. Uh, he pinned him with a drill claw. And uh, that that move, I don't know how I feel about it. I like him doing the – he used to do, like, the F5000 or whatever. Um, but that drill claw, just like, just like the screwdriver, is very – Taz got a promo on John Moxley about why he was smiling last week when he was talking to him. Moxley showed up and said, very cool. Moxley just showed up like he didn't give a fuck who the hell either Taz <laughs> or Brian Cage was. He walked right in the ring and he said that Moxley was a fighting guy as a Texas Cage. He would he would make him happy in the ring and that he's not worried about either one of them and that you know, to if you're gonna basically, he said, like Birdman said, if you're gonna say my name, say some spect in it. You know, put some spect in it, man. And he put came out there. Spect on my name. Put some spect on my motherfucking name, Taz. All right. And I'm the champion. You guys are not the fucking champion. You get to see the size difference between Brian Cage and and, and John Moxley because a lot of people don't realize this about Brian Cage. He's huge body wise. High wise, he's about six foot. That's it. So it's a, it, it actually looked like he was looking down upon both guys, which Taz about the same size as him. But you know, I love that that John Moxley is able to like come in there, cut a promo, say I'm the fucking champion. Don't think that you guys got whatever the hell you guys have in your head. You first gotta beat me, piss off, and then he left. I thought it was awesome, but I love Taz at the beginning of it. I love him being the 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 guy on the mic for for you know Brian Cage and seeing what happens later on tonight with Jake the Snake and Lance Archer it makes me realize it doesn't necessarily have to be obviously like the biggest one is, is Cody with Arn Anderson but we don't always have to have the manager be the guy that just talks I think we will hear Brian Cage but for right now, we have to deal with, you know, what's going on with him and John Moxley. And I'm kind of with you, man. I think that he is underestimating Brian Cage, and Brian Cage is actually going to beat John Moxley for that title. Chris, how'd you like this part? I thought it was very, very well done. It was a good Moxley uh, promo. I was hoping that he would uh, tell Taz he smelled like the inside of his mom's purse, but he didn't, so I was sad uh, slightly there. But no, um, all of that, all joking aside, this is a great feud. You, when you see John Moxley with some of these guys that you look at in other companies and you think that's a WWE guy, they're they're huge. And then you see John Moxley and you realize how fucking big he is and how big the guys WWE used to sign were. You kind of realize there's that size notion of like, holy shit, like Moxley is not a small guy either. He's just small and comparison to like the undertaker or brock lesnar uh so there was a little bit of that shock for me as well like what you're talking about but uh with cage being as big as he is and them putting him with the this kind of a shorter stockier badass and taz i think you get by that in a lot of ways i thought the promo was pretty good um I like that Taz is using his own catchphrase for Brian Cage, which is like, 
beat me if you can survive if i let you he's doing it obviously with uh beat him and if he as opposed to you know me but uh yeah i i like what they're going with i like that there was no pull apart it lets you know that this thing is going to go on a little bit that we're going to get to see some different things between these two and uh yeah i thought it was a, a good beginning of a show as far as something to keep you around for the second hour in case they bump heads. So after this, we had a, uh, somewhere in the country, I don't know where the hell it was, Alice Marvez was interviewing Lance Archer, who got really worked up after beating the shit out of some random person that we have no idea who the fuck he was. Jake the Snake, who is the pinnacle of evil, is trying to make him calm down. Um, And he got really worked up uh, talking about how one loss wouldn't deter him because everybody dies. After Archer stacked or you know left, Jake Roberts apologized to Marvez for Archer's behavior. <laughs> really weird seeing Jake have a reverse role now in this. He can't control him, and I think that's a good thing. It it builds onto the character a lot with him being with Archer being uncontrollable now that he lost. I like that. Um, and also saying everybody dies. Uh, just Jack Swagger is going to try to kill everyone based on his poetry. Lance Archer is trying to kill everyone. Baron Corbin's throwing fuckers off roofs. I think we should start the killing crew is what should happen and have Jake the Snake be their manager. Or they just legitimately murder people, apparently. I don't know about that, man. I think that would uh, not be too good to the, uh, you know... Uh, different committees out there that don't deem murder as a good uh, reason on professional wrestling. Do you, man. I don't know. Well, what if, what if what if like evil stops them because he's technically the Grim Reaper? I don't know, man. What if evil <laughs> is actually going to change his ways? And would he be called good? He would start dressing like Saint Angel, like Saint Angel Michael or something. That'd be awesome. Sure, get some flowing highlights. Maybe blow out his hair, 1980s style. Some angel wings. Maybe he can uh, tag with God, like Shawn Michaels did against Vince and Shane. <laughs> this is what the fans are here for. This kind of great content. <laughs> All right, sorry guys, I was trying to prolong my. Cigarette, ah, but I got back inside the house. So let's 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 go over to the next part. Um, private party, we're having drinks backstage when Matt Hardy showed up to check on how Mark Quinn is doing after hurting his knee last week. Like I said, this was not an actual uh, real injury, but like something made for storyline. Obviously, this is where they're going. Um, private party suggested that the three of them should team up as the Hardy Party. So now it looks like. Yeah, he has, um, you know, some type of uh, connection, obviously, with the elite. But now it looks like Matt Hardy's taking private party under his wing a bit. And I think that's actually awesome. I I hope that he can help them a bit. And, uh, yeah, I I don't think there's anything wrong with this. But um, what do you think about this? So I lost you for about five seconds there. So can you run the last question by me again? Sorry. Uh, Hardy party. Is where I left off at. Oh, I'm sorry, man. Do you hear me fine right now? 
I do, I do. There was just a connection drop, apparently. Well, there's a storm going on right now. I hope it's not affecting our, our recording, but hopefully it's not. But uh, do, do you like that Matt Hardy's basically trying to – it seems he has a connection still with the Elite, but he's uh might be at least trying to help out a uh, private party. I don't think that there's anything bad in that at all. No, I, I don't, and there's a ton that you can do with Matt, and maybe they're saving it for if and when Jeff finally comes aboard. For the big Matt moments, I guess. Um, I mean, coming over from WWE, there was this post he made where he said, uh, spot on the nose, when we came into WWE, we had the biggest pop of all. There's a lot of people we could have worked with and helped put over. We had a lot of creative ideas. They didn't let us do anything, basically. Uh, I'm just synopsising this because I don't have it right in front of me. But... I think his mindset going into AEW is that he's open to kind of work with anyone. If he's able to help get them over, then help get them over. I mean, the idea of broken Just like Matt Hardy. Erica. Yes. So I think he is taking on that veteran leadership role, which if that's the case, that's great. Like private party and Matt Hardy. I think that would be the Hardy party. That could be really, really funny if done well. And uh private party is a, a really good tag team. I think that, uh, get some couple wins under them. They get used to working week after week because you got to keep in mind that these guys in the past, they've worked like one week and been off for like four weeks. So if this is what's going to get them into the main picture of a tag team, if you, especially if you think about maybe Scorpio Skies leaving SCU, uh, there's a gap that needs to be filled if you're building your tag team back up. And this isn't a bad way to do it. It's going to be interesting to see what they do for sure. Are they gonna be become? Are they gonna become the broken uh, Hardy Party? Or are they just gonna be hanging yeah. out at like King, Maxwell, King Maxwell's uh, birthday party, giving him little xylophones and stuff, which would be extraordinary. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is this is fine. I, I and also it shows like a different caring Matt, and he could immediately turn on them afterwards because he is changing characters so repeatedly. That it doesn't really matter what he does. He can give them like a little bit of rub for like four weeks and then change his character completely and be something super different. Absolutely. After that, we had Chris Jericho coming out for his match against Cole Cabana. And <laughs> God damn it. I love Sammy Guevara. So Chris, you know, he's making his uh, entrance and you hear the lyrics of his, his music like, a little bit off, like, you know, the person that's on a microphone, obviously, started singing them uh, before they started, like, playing. And we find out that Sammy Guevara on his little scooter, and he's singing along with it. He's messing up the lyrics <laughs> in certain parts uh, perfectly. Chris Jericho is trying so hard not to laugh. Um, and there was also a shot of this weird concept going on with QT Marshall and Allie where they're like, you know, just, you know, becoming very, very good friends. That's probably going to bite him in the ass uh, very soon. But either way, we had the entrance. Chris Jericho comes out. He fights Cole Cabana. And the match was pretty damn good, honestly. Um, Cole Cabana was doing a lot of his signature spots, but I loved, and I, I don't know how you feel about this, Chris, but I love that he went for that, that, that pin that neither one of us really like. And Chris Jericho kind of baited him 
and that then got him right into the walls of Jericho, almost made him tap out. Uh, and he went for something off the ropes, and Jericho is right there to nail him with the Judas effect. He beat him. After the match, Chris Jericho said that him versus Mike Tyson is a match everyone wants to see. I don't know about that. Uh, he repeatedly called for the baddest man on the planet to come out and face him. And, of course, <laughs> freshly squeezed Orange Cassidy showed up. Uh, we had a part where he came up and he was trying to help Chris Jericho put his hands inside of his pockets. Um, and at one point, Jericho sent the guys after him. And we had the normal concept where, you know, uh, Orange Cassidy evades them. First, we have Sammy going one way. Then we have Jack, Jack Hager going the other way. By the time he gets outside, the best friends are out there already in the audience. They back him up. LAX comes out there. And we have a standoff uh, that will probably accumulate, I'm most positive, into a match next week. I'm pretty sure that's going to be the best friends, Orange Cassidy, against LAX with Jake Hager. But um, fun stuff, man. Uh, I like the match. I liked even afterwards the fact that, you know, he's winning. I mean, he's losing Cole Cabana. And, and now, you know, Brody Lee is trying to get him up to be a part of the uh, the Dark Order and courting him. Uh, it's interesting with that. But I like the match. I liked everything. I like Sammy trying to make Chris Jericho pop, which seems almost always happen, especially when he fucks up the lyrics. And I like the <laughs> aftermath in the match. Um, you know, involving Orange Cassidy and what that sets up next week. How'd you like all this? I feel like Jericho has been listening to our show because, uh, like, I think it was like four or five weeks ago. It was like they should always have Sammy Guevara singing because they had him on like Cam one night and he was really singing Judas really hard. <laughs> I was like, man, he really loves this song. And, and in fact, I'm not a huge fan of that song, but I, I think I've turned the corner now that Sammy Guevara is the lead singer of the Inner Circle slash uh, uh, Chris Jericho's band Fozzie. Sammy Guevara is definitely the new lead singer, in my opinion. Uh, it was great. It was very funny. And yes, it, it was taking Jericho everything in his entire body not to just die laughing. I thought it was a fun little match. I like this. I like the spot that you're talking about. Uh, I hate that bullshit Superman pin. I think that's just such a dumb finisher. I like Cole Cabana. He's a pretty good wrestler overall. Uh, he is known for doing goofy stuff, though, so he's going to try to do that. As far as I know, he's still kind of working in NWA, which is his finisher there. So maybe that's why they're still doing it. But if Jericho lost to that, I, I think people would be super pissed. So the fact that he just tried it and it didn't work, who cares? It's the same thing as, like, um, you know, Orange Cassidy doing something really dumb and it not working. If it doesn't work, I don't care. If it works and is super effective against a top guy in your company, then, then that's when it becomes a problem. But, uh, yeah, Orange Cassidy looks good here. I agree with you. I think this just sets up best friends versus inner circle. I don't know what that – I mean, is it going to be Hagar – Guevara and Jericho versus Inner Circle, or not Inner Circle, but uh, the best friends, or are you going to do LAX and Jericho versus uh, the Inner Circle? I feel like LAX could use a win, so that might not I be I think a it's bad. announced Hager and LAX versus uh, three of them. Okay, so that's not bad. That's so LAX probably gets a win out of that, right? Yeah, I would assume so. I mean, it would make sense. 
But it's it's funny, even though obviously Chris, they don't have an audience, they have their audience, but they don't have an actual audience. Orange Cassidy still has to be one of the most over people in the whole entire fucking company <laughs> of, of AEW. He really does. I mean, it's crazy, but it's true. It's really funny thinking back to like Brian Alvarez having that match with him and talking about how this guy is a wrestling genius because he doesn't have to do shit, but he's still super over. <laughs> and now here we are in AEW. That was way after that match, and he's 100% right. Orange Cassidy has to do like two dives and dodge some punches, and he's still going to be fucking over. Something about the guy. It's a good gimmick. It works. Um, there's one thing I liked on commentary with this where it was QT, Marshall, and Allie. Uh, where Excalibur Loki was like Judas is a makeout song, just <laughs> kind of out in the <laughs> with Sammy Guevara was singing it. That whole that whole entrance, there's a lot of funny commentary. So if you missed any of it, definitely go back and watch it, guys. Do you think that uh, Sammy has any type of uh, hope when it comes to singing within America music, American music, I should say? Uh, yeah, dude. I already told you you should be replacing Jericho and Fozzie at any point now. When Jericho's ready to retire, just you put Sammy directly in there. <laughs> no. no. Oh, he Jesus. Has, he has no hope, but it's still really, really fun. It's like he really... Did, it, the thing, the best thing about it is, and I don't know if he really loves the song or not, but it truly does come off as you riding in the car with one of your friends and you know they're terrible at singing, but their jam comes on. And they just go full into it, and you're like, man, I wish you would shut the fuck up, but look how much fun he's having. <laughs> it's like that. Yeah. All right, so we had a awesome montage of Dr. Britt Baker working out to get better uh, in her wheelchair. Uh, none of them seem like really suitable things to help her injury or anything like that, but you know, we'll, 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 we will come back to it in a little bit about how she thinks about all this. But uh, either way, I thought this was fucking hilarious, Chris. I thought the montage was great. I, you know, for someone that's injured probably until September, she is definitely making stuff work in in the uh, in the time being. And she's still like, you know, I, I've said before, it probably doesn't help to have a, a uh, you know, significant other being an amazing heel or being able to get advice from people like Tully Blanchard and Art Anderson and so many others of uh, Jake Snake Roberts of great heel work. She really is coming into her own, basically. Yeah, unfortunately, we don't get to see it, in, in, it play out in the ring because she's not had that much in ring time since kind of developing this character, which is very sad. But the character itself is great. And, uh, yeah, I agree with everything else you said. It's just it's just very unfortunate. I thought they were giving her a little bit of a push in the ring, and then the injury happens, which wasn't really her fault. Shit happens, right? So uh, unless you're Carrie Zane, then shit happens to you. Ugh. Fucking Nia. Anyways, um, well, we had Nyla Rose going against Big Swole in a match. Um, pretty bad, uh, like, no, not bad, but like pretty badass match between both ladies. 
they beat the living hell out of each other. Big Swole's definitely someone that I have radar on as a future champion. Uh, but Nyla Rose would end up beating her. It was a close match, but Nyla pins full after a spine buster. Uh, and it was kind of nice to see. I mean, I, I think that makes sense to an extent that Big Swole puts on this great performance. She's beating the hell out of her. But Nyla gets her with a couple big moves, but not ne- necessarily her signature finisher move. And since she was the ex-champion, gets a pin out of her. Um after the match, Tony Schiavone attempted to interview Big Swole at ringside, but they were interrupted by Britt Baker, who was sitting in her wheelchair on the back of a golf cart. Swole grabbed a chair and was going to attack Baker, but Britt yelled at Rebel, who she calls Reba, to drive her away. And that's exactly what they did. Um, like I said, Britt Baker keeps on becoming one of the best heels they have. Sucks that she's injured. Hope to see uh, Rebel in the ring sometime soon since she seems like you know a suitable competitor as being someone that's a little bit bigger than most of the girls there but i thought big swole had a good showing and it makes sense not for nyla rose to get the uh the win over her uh how'd you like this chris i like this and it sets up something else for nyla to do that's outside of the championship picture in my opinion because i feel like that you can come back to this um so you don't necessarily have to if they trade wins for a little bit her win-loss could go down, which wouldn't make her the number one competitor in AEW. And you can kind of move past her versus Akira Shida again, uh, even though that the match she had with Shida was one of my favorites on that pay-per-view. Uh, I think that it does open up the women's division a little bit for the rest of the, the female wrestlers that are there in AEW. Burr Baker, Baker is incredible. Big Swole, I think, is uh, someone on the horizon that could be very good. It's got to nail down that character a little bit more. Uh, and give her some meaningful wins, maybe against Nyla, and we'll see how that. We'll see if the rocket ship takes off. I guess. We will see. All right. So backstage, Darby Allen told Tony Schiavone that life's a joke, but he'll get the last lap, basically. All right. So uh, in- interesting stuff from Darby Allen. I mean, it was it was more the the, the normal Darby Allen antics, but we know that he didn't win. Obviously, the Battle Royal. He didn't win the ladder match, but I still feel like a lot of us, probably including you, positions him in that upper echelon of guys that probably might get either title. So what do you think he's talking about? I think he's Lance Archer's next opponent. I have no idea what he's talking about, but that just makes the most sense to me that he would be Lance Archer's next guy. See, the thing with the the whole thing, really, I mean, Lance Archer would make a lot of sense, too. But if you look at the past, you look at how Taz tried to get him to allow him to be his manager. He told him to fuck off twice in a very, very direct sort of way. Um, now he has Brian Cage. He, he, if Brian gets the title or if he doesn't, I feel like Darby actually might be going against Brian Cage next. But it might be Lance Archer. I don't know. Well, which is possible, but he's got to get there first. So he needs a meaningful win. So if he beats Lance Archer, that would get him there. Beats a former number one competitor. Because otherwise, you, you can't... AEW doesn't go straight there. So, I you know, if Cage wins the title, he's probably going to have to beat both Archer and Moxley. 
to get back to the belt, which I think is fine. Uh, I think there's interesting ways to do it with Moxley. It depends on if you want Moxley to always be your top guy or not, but it, it does seem like Cage is getting that belt and then Darby is going to be the guy chasing it. So I would say he goes through Archer first with this weird junkyard shit that's basically in his backyard anyways. So uh, it makes sense they would just have a match back there. <laughs> I want to see more more videos from that, that set. I think it's an awesome set. But uh, that's uh, that's my guess. I mean... What, because Chris, who what, else is there? Is he gonna go? He's not gonna go against the entire Dark Order. When are we getting him in a match with with Jeff Hardy and Sting? Three way. When, when when's that happening? About ten years ago, <laughs> in a time uh, machine. <laughs> uh, I mean, you might get Jeff. You, you could get you could get Matt versus Sting. I think that's a match that you could get, and probably be a. Okay. I don't think Sting. Okay. Even if even if Jeff was in the company, do you think Sting would want to work with him? Even if he's like you know completely sober, I don't know if I'd want to do that. If he's trying to do well, it depends because Sting has came off very forgiving over all of that. I don't know if that's the first match you do back. I would probably do like I mean if it's anyone, I would say Kenny Omega, right? Like or someone. Be awesome. Yeah. You you just got to pick someone that's going to be very protective. Like Cody would be good. He works that very clean WWE style. He's not going to make you take a buckle bomb. Uh, Matt Hardy. Matt Hardy would be probably just fine because you could just brawl with him forever and the two characters would be able to make a match similar to what they've done in the Boneyard or whatever. Jeff is a guy that needs to do a lot of high-risk stuff, which requires Sting to do a lot of catching. All right, well... (laughs) Let's rather Darby because he's lighter in in that type of uh, retrospect. Yeah, I'm um, sure Sting can still pick up Darby above his head, no problem, 700 times. I, I, I just want him – I mean, even if it becomes like somewhat of a uh, mentor, you know, relationships, I think that would be kind of cool. But either way, um, Tony Schiavone interviewed FTR, who named a bunch of AEW tag teams they'd like to face, including LAX, including um, – uh, whatchamacallit, uh, private party, including, you know, they, they mentioned that the Butcher and the Blade, that they got the better of them, but they'd actually like to have a straight-on match with them, which next week they will be. Um, but they didn't mention the Young Bucks for some reason uh, until Tony asked about them, and they said they want to beat the Bucks in three minutes and that they saved the Bucks from the Butcher and the Blade because – when they beat the Bucks, they don't want anyone to have any doubt about them being 100%. The Butcher and the Blade showed up, and FDR said that they attacked. It wasn't personal, but they can, uh, you know, of course, settle like gentlemen in the ring, and they will do that next week, like I said. And, um, yeah, so we're positioning, I guess, FDR, who even said their name can mean a multitude of things, you know. Fuck the rest. Fuck the revival, which even makes sense, like you said, I think, last time that we talked. Um, you know, whatever. It, it, it's it's a multitude of things, but they are FTR. And they, they're not even looking at the Unbucks. They're, they're looking at everyone else. They're looking at Kenny Omega and Adam Page. They're looking at, you know, other guys that have done their thing. And I like this angle, actually. I like that, that the Unbucks aren't good enough for them yet. 
I think that that's actually kind of funny, but we'll see how it plays out and how long this babyface concept plays out with the uh, FTR. What do you what did you think? I don't think they're necessarily supposed to be babyfaces. I think they're supposed to be like the outsiders coming in. They're cocky. We're the fucking best. All you guys here are fucking scrubs. We're going to be all of you. And then we're going to beat the young bucks in three minutes because they've been shit talking us for years. And now that we're finally released from this contract, we're going to show up and pub stomp the fuck out of you. That's what I got out of it. Very true. But I mean, you could, I guess, I think you could look at it either way, but um, I don't know. Are they going by Dash and Wilder? That's the real question. Because they haven't really, they just call them FTR as a unit. Have they nailed down their their uh, their individual names yet? They have. Um, I'm trying to remember what the hell they're. It's Cash something. All right, it's um, uh, Cash Wheeler and Dax Harwood. Oh my so Cash, god. Cash Wheeler would be Dash Wilder. Cash Wheeler, I think his actual last name is Wheeler. Uh, and then Dax Harwood instead of Scott Dawson. Um, so Cash and Dax. Yep, instead of Dash and Scott. Yep. God, did they get that? Did, was that on their list of names from WWE before they left the company? Like, <laughs> It wasn't a part of the, uh, the joint uh, clown <laughs> gimmicks uh, that they were proposed, I guess. <laughs> oh my god so uh, bad uh everyone's just gonna call them ftr for forever <laughs> because those names are terrible but uh i like i like where they're going with it they're a good tag team uh they had good matches in xt i'm not the hugest fan of of them necessarily but uh this is a good start and maybe given a new environment and, and new things maybe they'll maybe i'll change my mind who knows but uh i think it's been booked very well so far and keeping them away from the young bucks right off the bat is very smart if it was wwe they'd give them both mystical gimmicks and then they would fight in some sort of fucking barn <laughs> with john lordinitis there <laughs> hey guys how are you guys doing um all right so our last match of AEW was cody rhodes going against jungle boy for the tnt championship like i said jungle boy so lucky you have to go into Battle Royal and win it. Oh, starting the week after that, anyone can challenge for the fucking bell. Uh, whatever. But it doesn't matter. But Cody Rhodes and Jungle Boy had a pretty damn good match. Um, it was oh, – shit, Cody got blood. You know, he, he got a, he got a little bit of – a little juiced within it, a little gigs, if you will. He's um, doing it too often. He's doing it bit. too fucking often. You can't, you can't do that shit on TV. Like – too often in my opinion against the jungle boy you just open to open challenge to everyone you just john cena and you're gonna get juice the first week like i get you're trying to get jungle boy over but like fuck too often cody you didn't stop, need it stop slitting your fucking face open please you don't want to look like your dad's forehead yeah i agree with you um but yeah so they they had a really fucking good match man i mean it was good. It went to the outside. That's when I believe Jungle Boy threw him into the steps or something. And then, you know, we come back. He's bleeding all over the place. We had a crossroads that got the pin after the match. Cody helped Jungle Boy up and they hugged as other members of the Nightmare family and the Jurassic Express 
join them in the ring. And it was a nice, like, little setting. If I were to have anything happen at the end of this, I don't care if it's Brody Lee, I don't care if it's Chris Jericho, I would have had a pan out to some heel type of concept looking in on this and saying, you guys cheer now, blah, 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 blah. To me, that's what it needed. But either way, still a damn good match. Really like Jungle Boy. I don't think Cody needed to gig, but he did. And, uh, yeah, he won with Crossroads. How would you like the ending, Chris? Man, it feels really weird that we have to tell people in 2020 not to gig during not a big match after not seeing any blood for so long. <laughs> so ridiculous. It feels really weird. Uh, it was a good match. I don't know what it does for either guy because they're both baby faces and they just hugged at the end and now Jungle Boy's just back to the oblivion of the mid card. Yeah, it, it seemed like it needed a little bit more. It, it seemed like it needed like some type of villain and they've established many calculating and realizing that they're going to take their next shots sometime soon. And so seeing the baby faces all like, yeah, we're awesome. I beat you, but I love you. You're great. They could have just had, I mean, they could have just had Jungle Boy not win. (laughs) Yeah. Especially if you're going to do a 24-7 gimmick anyways. Then it would make more sense to do baby face versus baby face if he was like the third person to challenge down the line. Uh, So storyline wise, I'm going to shit on this a little bit. Don't normally shit on AEW, but. I think it's kind of dumb. <laughs> Honestly, he shouldn't be hugging. He just lost. Michael Jordan ain't hugging motherfuckers after he loses. It's just, it's not, I mean, that doesn't make did him you, a heel. That makes him a competitor. Did I, I don't know how I feel about this. Did you hear who uh, Pat McAfee during NXT, they had a compilation about, uh, I think it was Adam Cole versus Velveteen Dream. Said Velveteen Dream reminds him of Dennis Rodman. I mean, I could see that, but that's what Velveteen's going for. He's going for an androgynous prince type, larger than life, gold dust character. And he's also very tall. He's got kind of the look when he dyes his hair and stuff. I could see that. And also, like, uh, I mean, the, the main problem is Velveteen Dream isn't a heel anymore. And, uh, Throughout his entire career, unless you lived in Detroit or Chicago, Dennis Rodman's like a heel. <laughs> he's yeah. punching he's punching cameramen, he's kicking people that's on the other team in the chest. Like Dennis Rodman uh was one of the original bad boys from Detroit, and that did like they brought him in because Michael and Scotty hated to play against him. And at that time period he had like almost committed suicide in a parking lot and was in San Antonio for a while. And they brought him in as to, to be a basically a, in hockey, I call it a fucking goon. He's a great rebounder and still one. it was with them. He was still one of the best rebounders in the league and stuff. Like he's still a great player, but he was just like an enforcer for them because Jordan just, Jordan and Pippen got the shit beat out of them by any team they played. That's how you would defend the Bulls. You just beat the shit out of them and take as many fouls as you can and hope that your team scored enough to beat them. But, yes, they have similar looks. They're very androgynous. I could see that, and maybe that is an inspiration. I mean, fucking Rodzilla's great, dude. If you like Hills, oh, Rod, Rodman's, Rodman's one of the best, even when he went to wrestling. Uh, I mean, he no, did he bail out. Nice. 
he did bail out on a Bulls game to go <laughs> do wrestling. <laughs> they, talk, they definitely talk about that in that Last Dance documentary of like, well, you know, we didn't know where Rodman was, and then we looked on TV on Monday, and he's at, the, he's at fucking wrestling, smoking cigars and drinking with Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan. <laughs> like, what the fuck is going on? So they definitely address that to, to some extent. Uh, in that documentary. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll say that his <laughs> his gimmick, and I mean Velveteen Dream is he. Need, I, I hope he's getting everything back to where he was because he definitely had some ring rust. But when he's at his prime, his gimmick, yeah, we'll throw Dennis Robin in there, we'll throw Prince in there, we'll throw The Rock in there, we'll throw Rick Rude in there. But stylistically, it's like his selling and his in betweens is very very rock esque. And everything he does offensively, obviously, is very Macho Man-esque. And he's a very complete package, but, you know, we just have to hope that WWE... <laughs> well, they're pulling up people, Chris. They got Matt Riddle. They're getting uh, uh, Donovan Dijakovic. They're taking them, putting them on the main product. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're pulling Dijakovic up to the main roster to get fucking Claymore. Yeah, probably. But I'm scared for uh for Mr. Velveteen Dream because there's many more coming apparently. I I mean I don't know. I, he was better as a heel or just like in in between who you didn't know. And so in between, it, when just came, don't, don't acknowledge the audience basically. Don't fucking cater okay. towards them. Well, I mean, the problem is he came back and the the audience acknowledged him, and then he like had fucking Rick Rude pants on. <laughs> yep. So. I, I love mean, Dream. Uh, we loved. We both love Dream. We we said two yeah. years ago we should get Maine. Uh, he's he's a guy that would be catered perfectly for Maine. Putting oh, him down with indie guys that he. It's crazy. He, he's the guy that when you put him down there with a bunch of indie guys, he's gonna have great. Like good matches, and he's gonna be super over with the crowd. But he's kind of, to me, he's kind of like the Randy Orton, where, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but if you have a for, like a more formulaic WWE style match, that's where he's gonna shine the most. You start asking him to do a bunch of shit against four different guys. I don't know that he's that dude. And they weren't asking him to do that before, and now they have him. You know, when he was fight when he's fighting the entire undisputed error by himself, he's not a good brawler. <laughs> points out a lot of his weaknesses. He had a bunch of ring rust. He also was a heel essentially. Um, they kind of just booked him into a very shitty spot. I think he can still come out of it, but uh, they fucked up their own good thing. And, and obviously injuries suck. He lost a lot of wind on that, but I, I mean. He could have came back and just won the title in a clean yep. ass match. I really think he's gonna. It's about out. to do it. I, I mean, and we'll go over takeover after this. Obviously, that's this weekend. But I don't. I don't see what Adam Cole needs to prove anymore. Um, and it just makes sense for Velveteen Dream to get the title after him. I, I don't know who else, unless you want to have Finn Balor beat him for it. Um, I mean, that's I mean, that's I the only other person. I don't know. I mean, I guess I don't know why any of these characters need to go to Raw or SmackDown when the show is doing pretty fucking good overall. And I don't Vince, know what benefit said, but it he is. doesn't want to. He doesn't want to admit that AEW or that NXT is anything great, but he wants the fucking talent to cultivate his uh, product. 
Yeah, but if it's cold, if if you're bringing Dijakovic up just to get fucking dominated by Drew McIntyre, it's not going to do anyone any good. No, it's going to turn the fans against Drew McIntyre that actually, like, you know, watch NXT. But either way, let's start at NXT. We had a pretty damn good show. Uh, First thing, start off with Candice LeRae going against Mia Yim. And this ended up in a double count uh, count out. The women continued to fight after the match ended. Other members of the women's roster tried to pull them apart. Then a group of referees, Johnny Gargano and Keith Lee, entered to support their significant others. And the couples had a standoff. It was announced over the loudspeaker that William Regal was turning the brawl into a mixed tag team match. And we had Candice LeRae and Johnny Gargano going against Mia Yim and Keith Lee. LeRae pinned Yim with a roll-up after Gargano uh, stabbed Lee in the eye with his keys, his car keys, by the way. Fuck it, Johnny Gargano. Gargano stood over Lee's title after the match. So this is setting it up, man. Um, we're going to have a three-on-three women's match that could kind of set up from this. It's going to be Shotzi, who looks like she's not too injured, which is awesome. Uh, Tegan Knox. And Mia Yim going against Cancel Ray, Dakota Kai, and uh, Raquel Gonzalez, uh, which we'll talk about for TakeOver. But also, obviously, Keith Lee going against Johnny Gargano for, th- for the North American Heavyweight Championship, which is going to be an awesome match by itself. How did you like all this? And do you like the addition of the new ladies match on uh, TakeOver? I like the addition of the new uh, female wrestling match because I think it might lead to a tag team, which could be good for their tag division. I could be wrong, but you could definitely do something out of that. Um, And it also gives everyone something to do on the pay-per-view. So it's not just like, here's your heavyweight title match, and then there's no one else. There's no other female wrestlers on the product. So I like it from that standpoint. Johnny Gargano is a heel. Still sucks. I did like that he used the, the keys. Still just not believable to me at all. So I'm hoping he just just gets destroyed by Keith Lee. Unless the idea is Keith Lee is also going to Maine, which I thought he would be the first one up. Vince loves him. I thought he would be the first one up over someone like Matt Riddle, who he's not necessarily fond of. So we'll see what happens with Matt Riddle, I guess. Watch him get the EC3 fucking treatment. Ugh. Video package about upcoming Tomas Ciampa and Karen Cross match included a promo from Ciampa saying that basically he wasn't worried about Cross and, you know, that he can have this type of vibe to him, if you will. But Ciampa is, you know, I mean, the original Sicilian psychopath. So uh, in a backstage interview, Dexter Loomis was asked who he thinks will win this weekend's NXT championship mask. He remains silent. And after scene, uh, returned with an easel and started to draw something. <laughs> so we'll go to what happened. Dexter Loomis' drawing was of himself driving a car with the Undisputed Era tied up in the back of the seat. Um, and very, very good drawing for that, that uh, amount of time period. Um, Chris, how'd you like the package with Master Champa in his words about his match with Carrying Cross? And how'd you like Dexter Loomis um, drawing a picture of him driving a car going fast with Undisputed Era tied up in the back and uh, all that jazz? Well, I thought the artwork piece was a little bit weird, but 
the overall idea of him taking out the undisputed error is is kind of what me and you have been leaning to. He doesn't really actually care about the title. He just cares about eliminating these people, um, which I'm fine with. I thought that was good. And uh, God, there you asked me one other question there, and maybe I missed it. Oh, um, how'd you like the package with uh, Champa and Cross and Champa's words about Cross? I mean, Champa's got to lose, I guess. Yeah. But I like I liked the promo, but he needs the loss because otherwise, how are you going to build Cross? Cross is Cross is the opposite of Loomis, where now you've booked him in a situation where he needs to win. Um, similar to what AEW kind of just did with Cage. Yep. So you book a big mean guy, uh, you need him to win. And then, you know, you can have your baby face come back and win afterwards. But I don't know. Ciampa, to me, he's good at kind of anything they ask him to do, but he's still way better heel than a baby face. He really is. All right. So in an interview earlier in the day, Drake Maverick said that he felt no pressure about the upcoming match. He seemed very confident. I mean, we'll, we'll we'll get down to the aspect of if this was him not realizing that he was about to get a new contract after losing that last match, um, this being a big fucking work the whole entire goddamn time since the beginning when Triple H realized that Drake had a lot of passion with that thing. But as of right now, you know, Drake said that, he felt no pressure about it. Then we had a video package about Adam Cole versus Velveteen Dream uh, title match, including Cole hanging out with the rest of the Undisputed Era at the at a restaurant. Uh, Dream seeing a motivational vision of Prince, and Prince actually talked to him, which was fucking weird. I wonder how much that cost him. And analysis from Sam Roberts, Peter Rosenberg, and champion Drew McIntyre, which is pretty cool. How'd you like the Drake Maverick promo, and how'd you like the video package for Adam Cole and Velveteen Dream? Sorry, there. I think the storm made us drop. But uh, how did I like? Did you ask how I liked it? Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I didn't realize that the storm screwed us up. Um, I said, how did you like the Drake Maverick first um, interview, saying that the, he felt no pressure? in the upcoming match, and then how'd you like the package for Adam Cole versus Velveteen Dream with uh, analysis from Sam Roberts, Peter Rosenberg, and Drew McIntyre? Yeah, I don't give a fuck about Sam Roberts or Peter Rosenberg. They could just not be on my TV. That'd be great. If you're going to do the Velveteen Dream Prince thing, just do the Velveteen Dream Prince thing. I'm fine with it. The video package itself was okay. I just... I, I just dislike both of those guys, I guess. Um... Fuck, I buried that. Uh, <laughs> Adam Cole, restaurant. Uh, he's great. It's a good promo. I'm looking forward to the match. Obviously, there's something looming in the wings that I'm more interested in than the match itself. Uh, I think that Velveteen probably takes some up creepy the time. weirdo. <laughs> yeah, some creepy weirdo. I, I mean, I kind of wish they would have done, like, the clue thing where he took them out one at a time at this restaurant and they just stretched it over the entire show. Um, but, you know, we, we get what we get. I think it's going to be entertaining either way. I mean, that could they could do that at the pay-per-view itself. 
they're not building the character the way I would. Half these people would definitely have uh, almost career-ending injuries at this point with Loomis. Yeah, it would be uh, pretty cool if that was the case. I hope they actually get around to that. All right. So also, Justin have- Justin Roberts talks in fucking circles for life. <laughs> forever on this video promo i don't know who he's actually uh rooting for in this or how he put anyone over but it was terrible sam roberts what i was said justin roberts sorry sorry justin roberts didn't mean to put that on you yes sam roberts the uh the guy with the yeah with the, that's the podcast like that dude that that, that matt cordona calls uh doink <laughs> All right, so God damn it. Uh, Brzezinga went against the Undisputed Era, and Odie Lorcan and Danny Birch, they were the ones that were the mystery tag team in this. Um, and this was to earn a shot at the NXT Tag Team Championship. So we have Brzezinga back, Tyler Breeze, Fandango, they are now astronauts. <sighs> well, look, I, I'm glad they won. I think that we all liked what Tyler Breeze was doing a second ago when he had an amazing match on NXT. And I know Fandango was hurt, but I I would way rather see them as single acts than together as a joke act. Either way, Tyler Breeze hit fist with a beauty shot and Fandango put him away with the last dance. Imperium entered the venue after the match. And then Malcolm Bivens and Indus Shure entered after them. All three teams stared each other down until the commercial break. So obviously this is going to play somewhat in the future. How did you like this tag team match? How do you like Brizongo being back? Don't you wish that they were kind of just, you know, singles? Like, why are they fucking tag still? I just want to know who Fandango pissed off to get saddled with that gimmick for so many fucking years at this point. He's so good. He's so good, Dane. Sucks. Now he'll forever be Fandango. I hear Chris Jericho say it all the fucking time, man. (laughs) Yeah, he won the IC title. (laughs) From Chris Jericho, they could have shifted the gimmick, gave him something serious, but now he's Brazango. I mean, whatever, dude. Make your money. I like uh, I, I like Tyler Breeze a lot. I think he's very good in the ring. But Fandango had a shot to be something a little bit more. They didn't utilize him. He somehow resigned. He's still there. Uh, now they're just kind of saddled with this bullshit. And as far as the tag match goes, I don't. I mean, if I'm being completely honest, I don't really care. It oh. just seems kind of thrown together. Oh shit! Well. That's how you felt. I understand. I mean, I, I mean, the more of the problem is like the fucking Brizengo thing ran its course and now it's not on main. So now you're asking your diehard wrestling fans that watch NXT to like this, knowing that Tyler Breeze was a huge deal in NXT beforehand. who's had great singles matches and now you're making them a fucking goofy comedy tag team again and it doesn't work to the same extent with the NXT crowd as it does with your main roster crowd. And it's also a waste of both guys. No, I agree. I, I completely agree. So it's, it's, it's hard for me to, to, I mean, 
who's gonna who ends up winning this thing i guess at the end of the day who what, what's your pick for this three-way match um love that's my pick just found a good option so. <laughs> all right so backstage last week we saw some video uh footage of robert stone and chelsea green uh, they got a promo about the Robert Stone brand. Green said that after her win with Charlotte Flair, she's the hottest she's ever been. And then she fired Robert Stone. So uh, Aaliyah, who Robert Stone already, you know, left, uh, came out to support her in her match against Santana Garrett. And Santana Garrett defeated Aaliyah. So I don't know what the hell that's going on for the Robert Stone brand, but uh, he's having some problems. Uh, Chris. Uh, how do you feel about all this? It, there's rumors that Chelsea Green's actually going to get pulled up already to Maine. Uh, I have no clue if that's true, but uh, pro- poor Robert Stone. And should he stop dressing like 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 Tony, like like Tony Khan? <laughs> um, oh, probably. I thought he's been pretty good in the role they gave him, even though they've done nothing with anyone he's managed. I, I don't know, tag team? You think that he gets them together for a tag team? If, if they're going to pull shit out. Him and Drake Maverick? <laughs> no. Chelsea and Aaliyah. He can convince her to come back and maybe they do a tag team. It's, does that, is that crazy or... I don't know, man. I, I, I think that he might have screwed himself over with, with Chelsea Green. You know, um, the, some some guy named Zack Ryder was like, stay the fuck away from him. And Chelsea was like, cool, Macedonia, or whatever the fuck her name is. Oh, you. did that happen? Is that like a shoot in the back? No. I'm unaware? Oh. <laughs> I was like, that doesn't sound like Robbie. <laughs> He's always came off as like a pretty good dude. I don't think I mean, Zack Ryder is uh, I, I don't think he's scared about anyone You know He's a good looking dude, he seems confident I mean, I think he could throw like, I think he could build a tag team though Like he could convince Chelsea To come back to his side and build the tag team And then they can go up to Maine together And then there's something for them to do Because otherwise we're just going to get the Iconics <laughs> At some Sometime, at some point, you have to build a women's tag team. If you have a manager, it makes a lot of sense. You just put two people together. Iconics! Sorry. I just wanted to say that. You remember when Alexa Bliss was a heel that was tricking someone to be your friend? And now they're just friends, and we never which, got a payoff on that? Which fucking time? Which time? Do you remember when <laughs> Sasha and Bailey were, were not really that great of friends, but they were? God damn it. Well, I was trying not to bring that up because we're both going to get fucking heated. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Well, anyways, there was a video package about the upcoming NXT Women's Championship triple threat uh, with a similar format to the one for the In Your House NXT Championship match. I'll just say I really thought this was really well done. I love the footage of Io Shirai in the water. And her, like, reacting towards certain things. I thought it was awesome. I loved Rhea Ripley going into her part of it and saying, like, look at last year. Look how great last year was for me. And then 2020 happened. And then 
that kind of extending off of that. And then also, obviously, Charlotte realizing that, you know, these people, they say this is not your house. I'm a, I was a part of the first fucking class that graduated from this. They all have great reason. I, I really want Io Shirai to win. You know, we're going to go over this when we go over TakeOver. Uh, but I really liked the, the build-up video, and I really liked what they did with EO because they, they made her scary and, and kept her mystique within all those, like, water shots that they did. How'd you like it, Chris? I liked it a lot. I think this is one thing that NXT does better than any show that's on TV wrestling-wise are these video packages building matches. I, I yeah. it, They're just really, really fucking good. It's believable on why any of these people would want to win, right? Uh, I'm really looking forward to that match. I, I thought it was fucking very well done. That may be the best thing on the show, honestly, uh, because it did make me excited for that match. And uh, that match is going to be really fucking good because Charlotte seems like she's been turning it up to 11 now when she's wrestling people. So, um, show stealer match maybe charlotte on every show (laughs) she's fucking good that's why why is rick flair in every territory (laughs) because he's fucking good that's why oh that's awesome what would they what would they rather see fucking nia Jax versus natalia I just want to see Nia Jax just, like, go against everyone. (laughs) I don't know what voice you're doing, but I assume it's people that don't like good wrestling. (laughs) Uh, That's my voice for for Twitter. Anyways, all right, so we had Cameron Grimes. He went against Bronson Reed. They had a pretty damn good match, uh, but Cameron Grimes got him with the cave-in. Afterwards, Karrion Cross came in the ring. Uh, showed a lot scariness, if you will, with his face. Cameron Grimes got the fuck out of there, and he hit a uh, doomsday Sai, uh, Saito on uh, on on Bronson Reed, and then cut a promo on Champa, saying he's not scared of him, basically, and that it's gonna all end this weekend. Thought this was great. Love carrying Cross's facial expressions. Glad that Cameron got another big win. Bronson Reed's definitely some some someone that I'd like to see get some wins. Uh, you know, formerly uh, what was it, Jonah Rock? Uh, he's he's a good big guy, man. He can move like a motherfucker. And his favorite uh, his favorite wrestler growing up, Chris, was um, John Tenta, Earthquake. So uh, either way, doesn't matter. But I liked all this, and I like that uh, you know, Carrying Cross is trying to fuck up some dude that's way bigger then he should be able to throw around and then tell Ciampa he's going to basically, uh, he's going to murder him. He didn't say that, but we know what's going to happen. We know it will. Was, was John Tenta the, the, was he also, was he the Shockmaster? No, John Tenta is Earthquake. He's Canadian. And yes, then, okay. Oh, damn it. Uh, Tugboat was uh, also his, his, Typhoon. With with earthquake and the attack team called Natural Disasters and Typhoon was also the Shockmaster and Tugboat. Well, they're both great, and I love that tag team girl. Oh, up. they're great. They're fucking uh, awesome. But I was thinking of like 
there's this video. I think it's like ten worst like fuck ups in WWE or something. I don't know. If you look up like ten worst, it'll show up on the WWE network. But Dusty's telling the stories like all the kids gather around to see the Shockmaster. He's talking about little son Cody's watching on TV, and the Shockmaster trips and falls through. Everyone knows the Shockmaster story, but like apparently young Cody was like, "Is that Uncle Fred?" <laughs> Which is Fred Hotman, who was tugboat and typhoon. And he was. <laughs> it was. It was Uncle Fred, turns out. But <laughs> this is great. Uh, having uh, having John Tinta as an influence. Great wrestler. Really good wrestler. Uh, former sumo guy. Huge run in all Japan. I think people forget about that. Um, and, oh, John Tinta? Yeah, John Tinta. Great. Great. Uh, I like That's a good this. person to aspire to be. Even though he's getting his ass kicked. Yeah, I mean, you remember when he was in the Dungeon of Doom and Tolko Hogan said the water's not hot? It's not Fucking hot. Fucking shark. <laughs> shark. And then he became Avalanche, thankfully. That was yes. closer. That's much better. Uh, <laughs> hey, man. Tensa made a really good career for himself and is definitely memorable in my mind. So... <laughs> Not not a bad not a bad choice. Not at all. Alright, so we had the women's tag team match announced for a near house with Mia Yim, uh Tegan Knox, Shotzi Blackheart, can against Candice LeRae, Dakota Kai, and Raquel Gonzalez. I already said that earlier. Do you have any comments about that? No, I mean just what I said earlier. I think it's good that they're getting a bunch of female performers on the pay per view itself. Yeah. Uh, and it should be a pretty fun match. I, I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of these very large tag team matches because they usually fuck it up, but there's a lot of good performers in this one, so maybe they will exceed my expectations. All right, so the last thing, we had the interim NXT Cruiserweight Championship Tournament final versus El Hilo del Fantasma going against Drake Maverick. Um... This is a pretty damn good match, man. It's kind of fucked up because, and I have a theory that I have no clue if it's true or not, but El Hilo uh, del Fantasma, who I have gotten to know as King Gerardo over in Lucha Underground and obviously uh, over in Impact as Fantasma, and eventually he actually took off his mask over there, but you know he's always been this buff, chiseled guy that's really good with Lucha Libre. And, uh, you know, just starting out the match with a handshake and trying to pull him up, it just shows you Phantasma was like, fuck this, I'm going to win. I, I'm sorry, man. I don't care about what the hell you got going on. I have to win this match. And they went back and forth. I mean, Phantasma did a suplex. No, no, he did a power bomb on the outside on one spot, which looked like it might have been inflated more or something because of the area that they were in. I have no idea. All I know is Drake Maverick, he was just selling most of the match. Uh, it was an awesome match, though. I really enjoyed it. Uh, towards the end, we had a part where the luchadors, same ones that have stolen, you know, uh, so many other people beforehand, have been going against or going after, like I said, Phantasma, uh, that beat the crap out of, uh, oh, I can't remember his name, uh, the Japanese wrestler. That's been awesome in this in this tournament. Kushida? But they, 
No, not not Kushida, but uh, Akira Tozawa. Uh, Akira Tozawa, yes, they were they were beat the crap out of him. Fantasma came out, they ran away. So they came out, they they approached Fantasma, and Drake Maverick came out and just beat the living shit out of both of them. They ran off, and then Fantasma took advantage of it, got the one two three, won the cruiserweight championship, and you know it was it was it was big for him, but it was even bigger honestly for Drake Maverick who lost and made his you know descent all the way to the ramp where Triple H met him and gave him his NXT uh, contract which he signed. So here's my thing for this. I thought it was a really good match. Um, I liked. I'll go into my theory after all this. I like the match itself. This situation where Triple H, like we said, originally felt bad and wanted Drake to participate in this, who obviously, from what he said in that video, was supposed to have less matches than he did when he was uh, let go. Uh, if 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 Triple H saw something, wanted to keep him, and they kind of use this as a way for us to... I don't know. I, I, I feel like that's kind of cheap, honestly. I, I feel that that kind of like doesn't make it as as uh, as as nice as it should be. And if for some reason, all right, if if that wasn't it, and Drake really had no idea he was going to get a contract, and that happened, that's kind of even more fucked up. So I love I love uh, Daddy Triple H. I love how he's now perceived as the uh, the the all father of wrestling of getting stuff done uh, in a way that we like. And before we hated his guts <laughs> for beating up people like Mick Foley and Booker T. But, uh, you know, if, if that's, if that, if, I don't know. It's, it's really mixed feelings. It kind of seems disgusting no matter what. And I hate to say that, but I'm just being real, but I'm happy that Drake has a job in NXT. Don't put him on the main product. He doesn't have to be a fucking manager. He's a really damn good in-ring wrestler. Give him something to do, and then we have a match already set up between hit between uh, you know Phantasma and uh, Jordan Devlin when they can do that. And I think Drake's going to be a main person when it comes to you know a person going for that title. So I don't have a problem with that. But but Chris, how'd you like the match? How do you feel about all this? Does it kind of not gross you out, but like just turn you off a bit? I mean, it it sucks, but we saw the turnaround on it kind of immediately, at least from Triple H. Maybe he pulled some strings and did feel some sort of way, or maybe we all got fucking worked. Who knows? What I will say is, now am I supposed to cheer for Phantasma? Now that he basically won after Drake Maverick saved his life, prevented some fuckery from happening, and then got beat? Because this was the problem I had going into this, is that if you book this guy into the finals, you got to find an interesting way for him to lose, and they didn't find an interesting way for him to lose, so I feel like the crowd's going to immediately turn on the guy they're actually trying to get over. Unless they've shifted to that not being the guy they're trying to get over. Um, Also, I just want to say, rest in peace, John Tinta. I did not realize that you had passed away in 2006, yeah. which makes me very fucking sad. Cancer, man. Fucking terrible. Uh, Canadian big guy. Badass as fucking hell. Earthquake was an awesome, awesome dude. But yeah, any, uh, I, I agree with you, man. Uh, it, it's it's weird. 
I'm glad that Drake has, you know, he is going to be able to do this, but same. It's just awkward <laughs> how they get around it. <laughs> well, I mean, but like whatever. if the if the end goal is putting is if the end this is like if you had the Razor Ramon versus one two three kid match, right? And you built one two three kid up forever, and then Razor just like someone fucking interfered in the match, and then Razor won. Does anyone yeah. care about one two three kid? hitting the moonsault so, and getting that weird win after that? The answer would be fucking no, they don't care anymore. You blew it. So what I think, and I could be crazy about this, Chris, we d- we have not seen DJZ, we haven't seen Humberto, no, not Humberto, uh, oh man, I can't remember the other gentleman, Ray, Ray Mendoza, we haven't seen a lot of the wrestlers that have gotten kidnapped. What if what if we find out, you know, I mean, King Cuerto... In in uh, Lucha Underground, he wasn't really babyface. So what if we find out that El Fantasma is actually the leader of all this, and that this is his group of minions? Yes, it might be a little bit too similar to uh, the Dark Order. I'm sure people will make comparisons, but that regardless, if this Luchador group is actually his, that he put in place to get to where he was, took advantage of it. And now there has to be a force against that, whether it be Akira Tozawa, whether it be Drake Maverick, whether it be Kushida. Yeah, but now you're putting together that he had them attack him on purpose because he knew that there was no way that he could beat Drake Maverick in the ring. It's just, I mean, they could go that route, and that's probably where they're going to go because this guy's going to get booed out of the fucking building the first time that both of those guys show up in the ring. That was the problem with this match. They could go that route. I don't think it's very uh, Dark Order to me. Just because, like, just because they're Luchadors doesn't mean they're Dark Order. You're able to have your own faction. Um, it's very different. There's a build-up to it. They did a bunch of different stuff. Yeah, Luchadors so, are usually Hispanic anyways, so. Yeah, so, like, I, I you know, like, people are just like, oh, it's just like the Dark, it's, it's nothing like the Dark Order. They haven't been, like, trying to recruit people via Twitter or video packages. It's a very different deal. If anything, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, Conan shows up and he's, like, the actual leader and they're, like, all involved or something. I mean, I feel like there's things that you could do that makes it very not that. Just because there's a faction with people with masks on doesn't mean they're the exact same. Um, that all being said, they're fucked either way because people are just going to cheer for Drake Maverick now, and they they probably should have just had a win thing, and unless they found a way to do some sort of draw, uh, which they didn't do, and basically he decided to fight off the baddies and still lose, which is a very rocky thing to do. But now, like like I said, if if Phantasma's not a heel, he's going to catch shit by fans yep i would I, I agree with you that's why i think that he might have to go heal but we'll find out hey let's go over uh nxt takeover before we get the fuck out of here we have in your house 25th anniversary of the pay-per-views that me and chris grew up with some of them awesome some of them most of them not terrible. so much <laughs> terrible but still it's an anniversary we're going to get probably, hopefully, get the same stage this Sunday. And the matches, there's not too many, like normally, NXT fashion. 
but pretty badass matches for the ones they have. So let's uh, go from the first match, Chris, and give our predictions. We have Mia Yim, Shotzi Blackheart, Tika Knox going against Candice LeRae, Dakota Kai, and Raquel Gonzalez. As much as I want to see the baby faces win, I feel like Candice LeRae is going to get a, a it, whether it be Shotzi, uh, Mia Yim, or Tegan Knox, I, I feel like she's going to get a pin on them. It would help her storyline, and um, I just think that the, the heels need this more so than the baby faces. Uh, Chris, what do you think about this six-woman tag team match? Well, I'm going to say the biggest heel in the match, Tegan Knox hits the shiniest wizard and gets the W. <laughs> she's not a heel. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> she's not? I'm sorry. No, I think the baby faces are going to win. I feel like they're doing something with Shotzi, so I could see her getting the pin here. I'm just glad Shotzi's not hurt. All right, so yeah, we have for the uh, NXT North American Championship, we have Keith Lee going against Johnny Gargano. I actually think that Johnny Gargano is going to take this championship. He'll be a two-time NXT North American champion. Um, I know it sucks for Keith Lee, but we can get him in something else. Because I feel even – as weird as it sounds, I felt like that championship has been holding him back uh, to not do anything and actually could help out Johnny uh, with his credibility. Who do you think is going to win? <laughs> uh, Johnny Gargano, the NXT North American title. Well, I mean, nothing's going to help out Johnny Gargano as a heel. I just don't see that shit happening. Uh, but I could see Johnny Gargano winning here because, like I said, I think in the, uh, I think Candice is probably going to lose, and then she interferes in this match, and Gargano gets the win against Keith Lee, and they set up the rematch or whatever down the line. I think they have no idea what the fuck to do with Keith Lee because they can't bring him into Raw, and Vince wants him on Raw. So until Drew McIntyre is not champion, he's probably just in a holding pattern on NXT, which could be good for him, depending on how they utilize him. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. All right, this one's weird, because we have Finn Balor going against Damian Priest. Damian Priest really could use the win, especially over Finn Balor, who, even though there was tactics obviously caused by Damian, gave a uh, win uh, against Cameron Grimes recently. Finn, he has unfinished business with Adam Cole. You would think for the championship, but just the fact that they are like, you know, one's one's, uh, the most wins, the other one's the longest reigning champion sort of thing, kind of like an Asuka versus Shayna type of concept. And then obviously Walter has been calling him out so there could be some fucker, fuckery with, uh, you know, the tag team champions causing Finn the match for Walter or something like that. But I feel like Damian Priest needs the win, and I can't believe I'm going to pick it. But Damian Priest, I think, is going to actually beat Finn Balor, even if there's no fuckery involved. What do you think, Chris? Finn Balor, Coupe de Gras, gets a win. All right. For the win. <laughs> For the women's uh, NXT uh, championship, we have Charlotte, Rhea Ripley, and Io Shirai. I want Io Shirai to win, but I feel like Rhea Ripley is going to pin Io Shirai for the championship, keep Charlotte out of it, and that's what they're going to do. What do you think? I tend to agree with you. They're going to cover – they're going to make Charlotte look good, but Io is going to end up getting the title here, and then that's your top feud is Io versus uh, – 
Rhea going forward for the main title. And Charlotte will probably position herself on Raw for Charlotte versus Asuka, would be my guess. All right, so you're going with EO, I'm going with Rhea. I think you can flip it, flip flop it either way. It just makes it more really sense for the baby face to challenge, like to chase the heel. And I think EO has proven that she's been able to be there stable and, and be very good in the ring with whoever they've positioned her to work with. And uh, it, it gives the fans a chance to get reacclimated to Rhea. Who I would rather, I would rather EO win. Honestly, I just feel like I know WWE and their bullshit. All right, so we have Ciampa. Killer Cross with Scarlet. Ciampa is going to lose, but this I, I feel like this has potential. I'll just say it now. Either this or the championship match. I don't know, actually. That that Finn Balor Damian Priest match should be really good. Keith Lee and Johnny Gargano should be really good. Alright, Ciampa right. and and, and and Karen Cross has a chance to be the best match of the night. I think it's gonna be a brawl, but I think that Karen Cross will end up winning that match. What do you think? I agree with you. I think Cross is going to win that match. If I'm picking match of the night, I'm going to go one beforehand with that three-way match with Charlotte EO. Oh, yeah. Because I think that that Charlotte's going to turn that shit up to 11, especially if she's dropping the title. So I think that might be the sleeper match of the night. All right, so we have the last chance backlot brawl for the NXT Championship. If Velveteen Dream loses, he can no longer challenge for the NXT Championship while Cole is still the champion. Adam Cole, Velveteen Dream, backlot brawl. I'm going to give it Velveteen Dream. I mean, he already lost it for bullshit reasons last time. Now we get a chance where there is nothing that Adam Cole can do that can save the match. I mean, it is basically an Extreme Rules uh, any, anywhere fall style match so i think that dream's gonna finally get the fucking championship from adam cole and i wouldn't be surprised i don't know about the rest of undisputed era i would hope they would call all of them up but if adam cole might be making his uh it might be leaving uh soon from nxt what do you think chris i don't think he's gonna have a choice because i think this is the the point where uh mr loomis himself starts picking these guys off since it's it's since it's no dq you have ample opportunity to do this what i hope it doesn't turn into is a fucking film camera giant scene with wwe maybe this will well actually if that if it turns into that and triple h and Shawn michaels and guys are working on it maybe it won't be as bad as some of the other stuff we've seen but I feel like this is the time where he starts taking those guys out one by one throughout the night so that it is just a straight brawl between Adam Cole and Velveteen Dream. And uh, I think Dream raises the title. I don't know what they're going to do with Cole afterwards, but it seems like Dream's time. Hopefully this is a really good match. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it it should be an awesome pay per view. I am looking forward to it. Um, I mean, <laughs> that's the thing is like the last two pay per views. The last one was AEW. I've watched it a second time since I got Double or Nothing, and now with NXT Takeover, I don't expect anything less. They're always good. 
And I love that they're putting a little bit of my nostalgia needs, if you will, with the uh, in your house to provide a, you know, a look for it. And uh, I'm excited, man. I'm, I'm excited about this weekend. I can't wait. But uh, I, what are you going to say, Chris? I was going to say, do you think Velveteen Dream and Adam Cole ends up in someone's house? Because that was the one thing that me and you said about them calling this in your house that we did not want. So I hope not. I, I hope it doesn't, but I do hope that you suggested that Velveteen Dream does the, uh, you know, the Shawn Michaels thing from the top of the house all the way into the ring uh, that, you know, Shawn did once. I think that would be fucking awesome because I love, I love that Shawn's kids this last run mainly were Velveteen Dream, uh, Adam Cole, and Johnny Gargano. Because they all have like little different feels of, of, of him, if you will, as a performer. Yeah, I mean, him 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 ziplining down to the ring would be pretty great if he hasn't thought of that. Hopefully, he's listening. He listened to the show. So he always does. He knows he how. Awesome. He should. We've put him over enough. <laughs> Fucking. <laughs> Even when he sucked, we still were like, he's still gonna be good, man. Shit happens, man. <laughs> yeah, really. it's not his fault. Ring rust. <laughs> oh, I've seen him do that damn perfect Macho Man style performance inside that ring. He's good. He's fucking great, and I think this uh, whole show is gonna be very, very good. Now we'll see if it's better than the AEW pay per view, which. That will be the judgment. It just feels very weird to have a pay-per-view from NXT without fucking Matt Riddle on it. <laughs> mm. Well, we might see him tomorrow night, Chris, on SmackDown. <laughs> Losing to AJ Styles, I'm assuming. Let's, can we get Rob Van Dam hired just for like a month so he can have like a program with Matt Riddle? That'd be cool. <sighs> I heard that he's banned from all TV and Twitter as of right now, just because he's having threesomes in a hot tub somewhere. You don't do that on Twitch. Anyways, all right, guys, that was another wonderful episode of Wrestling East Alliance. Thank you so much for listening to us. We've got another show coming out this weekend. We'll have up, uh, you know, Saturday, Sunday, around that area, if you will. We'll go over Monday Night Raw. We'll go over SmackDown. And we'll go over any news related to the main roster with WWE. But that was our, you know, our thoughts, if you will, on both Wednesday shows. And uh, I'm really looking forward to take over. Watch it. If you want to get a hold of me, look me up on Danelves42 on on uh, Twitter. Look me up on Danelves on Facebook. And, you know, we'll have a chat. We'll, we'll talk about this type of stuff. Thank you so much, Christopher, Brother Ray Patton, for joining me like you always do. Uh, say goodbye to the beautiful people and, uh, you know, put whatever plugs in place. Goodbye, you beautiful people. Uh, uh, yeah, if you if you miss sports, if you're a hockey fan specifically, we talked about the 24-team playoff situation that's going on in the NHL. Check out at Skates the Throats. Skates Throats on Spotify. Anywhere that you can type Skates Throats as a podcast gimmick, you should be able to pull it up. And uh, you can hit me at, at Chris R. Patton on Twitter and Christopher.R.Patton on Facebook. Always uh, glad to talk wrestling and 
Dane, once again, man, it's always a great time. And I love that we do this every week. It makes me super happy inside. Aw, makes me super happy inside, too. Well, besides my wonderful co-host, I hope everyone listening has a wonderful evening. If you want to find Wrestling Geeks Alliance on other audio platforms, maybe, uh, you know, the ones that you're not using currently, we're on an array of different styles, social media-esque, downloadable concepts, uh, just like, you know, iTunes, YouTube. Uh, you can find us on Stitcher, you can find us on Spotify, you can find us on SoundCloud. All searching Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Uh, check out our past episodes, check out our newest episodes, and just keep on listening. And thank you guys, everyone out there, for listening. Hey, there's a lot of uh, crazy stuff going on out there, guys. And, um, you know, I'm just saying that with the coronavirus, if you will, and, and everything that's going on with, I'm calling it the second civil rights movement. Um, you know, we're here for you guys for entertainment, but uh, love everyone, man. Try try to tell people that you, you know, your, your family, your loved ones, that you care about them. And uh, just drive that message more so than anything. Let's, uh, let's try to fix hate with love. And uh, Black Lives Matter. And, uh, yeah, that's all I got to say. Have a wonderful evening from the bottom of both me and Chris's hearts. Thank you guys so much for listening and peace be with you.